This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 19. This is Writing Excuses Backstories. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we are talking character backstory. Yay. Hooray. This has been really hard to not talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That is, in fact, my backstory for this episode is that I've been wanting to talk about this for for months. (laughs) So go. Backstories. So so the thing is, like, backstories are simultaneously one of the most important aspects of your character and also the thing that you need to worry about least. Mm-hmm. Um, because a backstory is going to affect the way your character moves through the world. Uh, they're going to affect how they interact with other people. But at the same time, you do not actually need to map out their entire backstory, their entire life, and and then try to fit it all in. Yeah, because you will – if you work too much on it, you will try yeah. to fit it all in. And, boy, the info dumps are real. Yeah. So generally speaking – what I try to do with my character is have a kind of broad overview of what their backstory is in much the way that I have a broad overview of what someone else's backstory is. Like, I don't actually need to know more of my character's backstory than I do of a Mal's or Maurice's. I don't need to know their entire life history unless it is specific to the moment that I am encountering in that particular story. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely affecting the way they move through their life and it's affecting the way I interact with them, but I don't need to know all of it to be able to have an effective moving interaction and satisfying one with them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself inventing backstory in the moment because as you're writing a character, uh, you realize that they're having a very strong reaction to something, Yeah, um, maybe more than you'd planned for because you're caught up and then you retroactively invent backstory to... I'm in fact doing that right now with a uh, with a novel that I'm working on, where I knew that my character had previously been on on this planet as a military surgeon. Mm-hmm. She's 78 now. She'd been there when she was in her 30s during an occupation, and she's uh, she's back. And I knew that about her. And as the as I've been working on it, I've realized um, that that actually something went wrong mm-hmm. when she was here previously. It wasn't just that she was a military surgeon. And, and, I mean, obviously war is a lot of things going wrong for an extended period of time. But but that there, that there was a backstory that I actually needed to unpack. And so what I've done is I've, I've gone ahead and uh, and and stopped and made some notes to myself and then mm-hmm. and continuing forward as if I had already written that stuff. But... This is the mistake that I see people make that I, I have to go correct is that I will see a lot of writers who make that discovery mm. and never go back to weave it in previously, which right. either results in the reader feeling as if they've been coy all um. the way through and, and, and not or feeling as if the writer lied to them. Interesting. I had a moment like that reading uh, a book um, that came out recently called Autonomous by Annalie Newitz, where um, you're basically introduced to this character who, in my case anyways, I despised, like hated, hated this character. Uh, and then you're kind of given 
a, a flashback um, very late in the book uh, that does actually explain a number of the, the behaviors that made me detest him. Um, but it felt like too little too late. It felt like, no, actually, it, I didn't. I feel like without having had, and that can absolutely be a decision. Like maybe yeah. she just never wanted me to like this character. So it doesn't actually matter that I have this information and, and so on. But uh, timing those reveals needs to be a deliberate choice as well, I think. Yeah. So I'm horrible at following any of this advice, <laughs> just so you know. I, mean, I literally did 3,000 words worth of world building for a story that was 6,000 words long. So I mean, that's the kind of guy I am. So I, I mean, I've been there and I've done that. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm the same way when I'm building my characters and, and doing their backstories. And, and I try to be conscious of the fact that, yes, I've done all this work. The reader doesn't need to know all this, but I need to know, I need to know this. Yeah. Um, now, the one time when it did come in handy was with the, the first book of the Urban Fantasy Trilogy. Because when I turned it in, it was a 60,000-word novel because I was, I don't know, I was, in, I was doing a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But when they accepted it, they were like, okay, but this is an adult urban fantasy novel. You need to add 30,000 words to it. Huh. And I was like, how am I going to add 30? The story's there. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I ended up doing was, you know, I have all this backstory material. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, 30,000 words. I now have room to flesh out. And, to, to, uh, and show some more of that backstory for some of these characters so you get an even deeper feeling of why they're doing the things they do. Because sometimes they are, and, and I realized that when I was doing the draft, sometimes they are behaving in this nonsensical way. To me, it made sense because I knew their backstory. Right. It's like, oh, wait, I had gone the other extreme of so not showing <laughs> enough of this. I was like, now we're forced to add that 30,000 words back. I'm like, oh, why not bring the readers along up for the ride for, uh, uh, so they can see this too. So Maurice, let me, let me push you on that. How did you get that in there without it feeling like an info dump? Because I think you're absolutely right. You need this stuff, but it also needs to be natural. Right. So it, it became a matter of how am I going to dra- uh, dramatize this information? Um, and so then it was like, so basically I would go through the narrative and, and see where the breaks were in the story to go, okay, now, you know, there was like, for example, there's a, a, you know, wherever there was a big action scene, you know, I needed to sort of reset anyway. So I've learned that, you know, what, during, during those reset moments, that's where I can slip in some backstory because mm. it, it gives that the reader a pause, you know, come down from that action scene um, and sort of reset the stage. And, you know, during those moments, it's like, all right, now here's, here's a little bit more about this character, mm. you know. I, I also find um, – so I'll do things like that where, where I use it as a, a rest point. But I also will often handle the character's backstory in uh, the same way I will handle other pieces of info dumpy stuff, which is that I will, I will save it for moments when the character is um, interacting with something. Hmm. So like if I, if I want you to know um, – if I want you to know how, to ma- how a mason jar works, huh. I'm not going to go, well, a mason jar is a glass object that is used. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the character pick up the glass – and I'm going to have them put water in it. I'm going to have them put a, a lid on it. I'm going to have them boil it so that, you know, I will have them interact with it. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's how a mason jar works. Right. Um, so a lot of times when I'm trying to to slip backstory in, in then I will, I will have it uh, arise naturally through conversation or through something, some environmental trigger, some yeah. concrete trigger that, uh, like, you know, like the, with the mason jar example, uh, my grandma used these all the time, these mason right. jars. And, uh, and her, her dill pickles were amazing. And, right. that's, and, and that's, that's the kind of, it's like, well, now you know that I had a grandma canned things. Right. Exactly. Um, the, it's fun. I'm thinking back to um, a, a short story I wrote, the 
called Madeleine, which I've mentioned yeah. in another episode, uh, where just talking about triggering things. Um, literally, the whole plot is that she has no control over the fact that she's encountering things and they are triggering these memories and hallucinations, which are also flashbacks, but are also weird because there are new intrusive elements that are, are happening in them. But for in order to choose what those would be... Um, because the because they were like the fact that they were happening was the plot. Um, I didn't want them to actually be moving in a way that advanced the like. How can I make that make sense? Basically, I wanted them to feel as random and intrusive as memory kind of is on its own uh, and as unpredictable. So even though it didn't necessarily make plot like it wasn't necessary to the plot that she be you know sipping a cup of warm milk uh, uh, or that she needed to remember that when she was a small child she sipped a cup of warm milk in the same way and blah 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 the like I tried to just through moving through my own environment kind of pick things things that are sensory things that are weird and interesting and stuff to try and trigger those things because Ultimately, the point of those flashbacks was something beyond giving information about the character. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is Racing the Dark. Yes. So this is um, Elia Don Johnson is a wonderful writer. And this is this was actually her first novel, which I have read years later. She wrote it in, I think, 2008. It's YA, and it is phenomenal, um, especially when you're talking about character backstories. It's set in uh, an, a, a series of island nations in which um, – People have learned to bind spirits. So they have bound the spirit of fire mm. and death and water, and they have been bound for about a thousand years at this point. Um, wind got away about uh, 500 years previously and wreaked havoc. And it's uh, this young girl who is, she's supposed to be a diver. That's, that's what she does, much like the pearl divers, but uh, mm-hmm. for this specific type of fish. And, um, and the environment is changing in ways that make people think that a spirit might be breaking loose. Hmm. Um, and it just, things just keep getting worse for her in ways that always seem, um, it's like, and, and what other choice did she have? Huh. It, it's forcing her down this very specific path um it's just phenomenal but her backstory this this the fact that she was a diver is so important sometimes in in things that she is actually able to do within the story but also in the choices that she makes 
and and the regrets that she lives. It's mm. it's a wonderful story. Um, I'm actually reading the second book in the trilogy right now. Um, uh, but Racing the Dark is the first one by Alaya Don Johnson. I highly recommend picking it up. Let's dive back into flashbacks mm. uh, because I love me a good flashback. <laughs> yes. I just yes. do. And it's interesting because when I first got into writing, I remember one of my professors saying, don't use flashbacks. Flashbacks huh. are a crutch. Huh. And, you know, I, that that is kind of some writing advice. And yet I have series that use extensive flashbacks. And my, my, my current book, I would guess that there are 50 or 60,000 words of flashbacks. Hmm. Um, but you, you know how to use them. And this is, this is the thing is that a lot of times when people are using a flashback, they're using it just to get information in. Mm-hmm. And you understand that what a flashback is actually doing for the reader is allowing you to present information to them at a time when they need it. Um, so if we if we hearken back to previous season where I talk about the mice quotient a lot, uh, the mice quotient is not about the the linear timeline that a story that a character goes through. It is about the order in which you present information to a reader. Huh. And when you're using backstories, you are presenting it in order to shape the way the reader is interacting with the story, not just to hand them a piece of information. Right. I mean, handing a piece of information is really important. Sure. But the issue is you don't want to front load that into the story. You want it when it will be relevant. relevant. And also when you're dramatically, you'll be like, oh, I can get the context of this scene now and things like that. Which yeah. then you you can use as momentum to propel the story forward. And a lot of times, and this is when flashbacks fail, it is because they break the forward momentum of the story. Hmm. When flashbacks work well, they are adding to the forward momentum of the story by giving the reader information that they need to understand the emotional context of what's at stake. It also lets you build a mystery and then answer it, or build a mystery and then continue it in an interesting way. I love that idea about momentum. I'd never thought of it that way before because I I found myself just now thinking of when have I found flashbacks successful. Um, And uh, and, and interestingly, I'm I'm more often thinking of film because it feels like such a filmic device. It's literally showing you in a visual way things that happened before. So I was thinking of like Ratatouille. Um, hmm. Have everyone seen it? Yeah. Right? You said mice. I, I yeah. thought of mice. But so, um, yeah, so uh, in fact, it cued a flashback to Ratatouille, uh, where <laughs> basically the, the climax of that film is absolutely about pushing that forward momentum. It's, it's about, and I think, I don't know if there's more than, no, there are a couple of them, but this, this flashback involves, uh, spoil the film. It's been uh, out long enough. It's been out long So basically there's this, this, this restaurant critic, and he is impossible to impress. You know, he's made this restaurant lose its Michelin stars because he's so ascorbic. Um, and our, our hero, the rat, um, has to cook a meal that's going to impress him. And so instead of trying to build up those airy things, he cooks a very, very simple um, country meal. He cooks ratatouille. He cooks like a, a vegetable dish. And then in the, to show how delicious this dish is, as the critic is tasting it, literally the, the camera kind of like sucks you backwards into a flashback. And you see him being a small child tasting ratatouille for the first time and loving it. And it's all warm sepia tones and like everything about the, the texture and the light and, and the timing of the flashback is such that you realize, yes, he's eating the best thing he's ever had in his life, partly because it's reminding him of being a child. And, and it builds so much character stuff into that one moment, which then resolves the film. 
Um, and it's, it's, so it's not. You don't need to know any of that stuff about the critic beforehand. You need to know everything opposite that. You need to know the critic is a jerk <laughs> who, who like, it just, it's, it's, it's so great. Anyway. No, I was just thinking about my, my uh, I tend to write a couple projects at a time. And so, like, uh, I have a short story and a, a novel project I'm working on right now. And they both kind of hinge on this use of flashbacks, which I'd never really thought about until mm-hmm. this conversation, uh, how much uh, they're hinging on the flashbacks. And so in the short story, you have this woman, she has a shattered psyche. And so as she's trying to, and I love the idea, again, I love this idea of the, the forward momentum. As, as she's progressing through the story, yeah, there's stuff that she's doing within the present as she's remembering the past at the same time. So there's kind of this, you know, going back and forth, going back and forth, but it is about building that forward momentum of, mm-hmm. of you know, what I'm trying to reveal about, the, about her and her trauma and her overcoming it. Um, with, with a novel project, and partly, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, loved a, I love a good flashback. Mm-hmm. I just love a good flashback. And so I would just think about uh, how I'm using the flashback now, the, the current scene I'm writing, which is almost just, in a lot of ways, just to set the mood for the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, so it opens with a flashback uh, in order to just, uh, part of it is to, you're going to get some insight into the character, which sets the mood for what's going to happen in the rest of the chapter. And so, yeah, I love the idea of flashback and how it just, you know, we all have these secrets that, uh, you know, that lay buried deep within us that mm-hmm. sometimes we're not even always aware of. Mm-hmm. And so just that slow re- revelation of, you know, of what that might be, you know, uh, you know reveals a character to us. Yeah, put it in when the reader is going to want it. Yeah. And I, I think of when my students do it poorly um, or when I did it poorly when I was a new hmm. writer is you are writing along and you'll be reading this story and then – tangential flashback, just zoom. And the, the author thinks that they're giving lots of character, but really what happens is you're a reader, you're in a scene, and then suddenly you're off on reading about grandma's pickles <laughs> and this extended extended yeah. thing where really all you needed at that point was, oh, or my mom used to, or my grandma used to put pickles in jars like this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah. Every time I take a sip, it tastes like pickle juice to me. Um, <laughs> or you need a, don't do it this way, but a, oh, no, not one of those. <laughs> you need that hook that yeah. later on you're going to get the, the explanation to. And <laughs> that those, is my reaction to pickles yeah. most of the time. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, depends so on if they're kosher or if they're not. <laughs> anyway. Um, Pickled okra, y'all. I'm just saying, pickled mm. okra is just, I'm just going to go full on Southern on you. It is just hot. We are almost out of time. <laughs> last, <laughs> last comments on this? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say that when... That, that you can spend as much or as little time building your character backstory as you want. But I do think that there are some things that you should know about your character going in um, that, that you, you need to know where they are, uh, their, their cultural backbone, I would say, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, how and, – and when I say cultural backbone, it's, it's uh, four things – uh, the inherited one, mm. um, what is the culture that they have inherited, uh, what is the culture that they are currently living, um, what do they aspire to, and then what is their perceived culture. Hmm. Uh, that if, if you know those four pieces of, of your character's backstory, that most of the rest of it you can probably discover as you are writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you want to dig deeper into any of that, then I think you can. But um, don't feel like you need to create a 3,000-word 
<laughs> biopsy for each of you. Not a biopsy. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, their backstory was... Um, An exquisite corpse. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Um, All right. Uh, let's go ahead and go to our homework. All right. So your homework um, is I want you to explore what these different tools do. So I want you to write a scene where a character has a flashback that exposes some aspect of their backstory. And then I want you to reset that scene again. And this, in the same scene, they are going to talk to another character about their backstory so that they're having to deal with the ramifications of it in real time. Hmm. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.